This summer, as many of you know, we are taking the time to go through the Psalms. We are calling it the Summer in the Psalms. Each Sunday, we're looking at a different psalm and looking at what God's Word has to say to us through it. One of the great joys of coming to the Psalms, and something that I believe we are going to see proved true today, is the words of Athanasius, uh, great theologian Athanasius, one of the early church fathers. He said this about the Psalms, whatever your particular need or trouble, from this same book, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. That's a big claim. Athanasius is saying you can look at your life circumstances and situations, the difficulties that you might be experiencing, and you can go to the Psalms, and the Psalms from it, you can take from it words that you find will not only fit your situation and how you're feeling, but as you read and study those words, you will find remedy for that ill that you are experiencing. It is a book in which we find the Word of God bringing medicine to the soul. This morning, um, I had a situation that arose that struck me because all this week I had been reading Psalm chapter 3 and felt really settled on its message and, and it was just one of those sweet times when you're coming to the Word of God and it's resonating um, with you. I remember even telling my wife Hannah as I was studying this week, I said, I, I just I really, I feel like I, I, I get this psalm and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm at peace with what it is I feel like God um, has to say. And then the, this morning, uh, something happened in our extended family that God's like, all right, Dave, the message that you're about to give, uh, I'm just going to reinforce how desperately we all need that. Because when you come to the psalm today that we're going to look at, it's Psalm 3. Now, we're not going to preach through, you know, every psalm, but it just so happens that the first three messages have been 1, 2, and 3. And when you come to Psalm 3, you find the psalmist in deep distress. And this morning, as I was in my study, as I was preparing my notes, going over them, I get a text from my brother Aaron, who serves as a pastor in Kentucky. And the very first thing I see from his text, it just says 911. Now, when he's texting, me, I'm thinking to myself, um, you should be in your pulpit right now preaching to your people. Uh, so I'm a little taken back, and then it only took a few seconds later till the rest of the message came in. And Aaron um, was sharing with the entire family that their oldest 13-year-old son, Luke, um, had all of a sudden begun to demonstrate either stroke or seizure symptoms, and that they had to rush him to the hospital from church. In fact, because they couldn't tell what was going on, he wasn't being able to answer questions and be able to speak clearly. Um, they actually canceled the service. It was literally right before it was about to, to begin. So all this week, I'm preparing a message on, on coming to the Lord when faced with threats and, and distress. And then all of a sudden, uh, this takes place. Needless to say, my mind for a little while was a bit distracted as I prayed for my brother, as I prayed for, for my nephew. I, I can report that right now, the initial tests that they've been running, God was quick to answer some prayers, and, and it seems like it might not have been a seizure or a stroke. They're, they're still trying to rule things out. Um, might have been an extreme migraine that, that, he was, that he was having. So we're rejoicing right now in the initial news. But have you, have you had a situation like that in your life? Have you had a moment where in your own heart and mind, circumstances beyond your control imposed upon your life in such a way that you were left wondering what's going to happen next? Feeling distressed, feeling afraid, feeling 
anxious? Um, I, I don't think that anyone here does not know what I am talking about. And maybe even some of you are like me. Maybe you're having a situation in your family or in your life right now where that distress is, is upon you. I think we're going to find Athanasius's words to be true this morning. As we turn to Psalm 3, I often say, are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? This is one of those sermons where I'm like, let's go, because our hearts need what God's Word says. So I'm going to start this morning by reading um, all of Psalm 3. I'm going to start with the title, and that's going to be important in just a little bit. But let's check out this psalm together. Psalm 3 begins, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And he says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in his God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing beyond your people. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. These are powerful words that are prayed by, as the title says, David. This is, in fact, a psalm of David. And we know that because the title that is given to it. Look at that title one more time. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, this little title tells us a lot of things. But, but one of the things I want to just address really quickly is this is the very first psalm that we've studied thus far that has a title like this. It won't be the last. In fact, the first two psalms are very uncommon. The rest of the psalms typically have some kind of title that gives us the context for, in which the psalm was written. And this one tells us. It tells us that David wrote this psalm, and he wrote this psalm when he was in a situation that probably very few of us have ever experienced, when he was fleeing from his son Absalom, a son who was trying to kill him. Like, listen, you might have family members that don't like you. You might have a, a boss that's not, you know, happy with you, but very few of us are fleeing from our own child who's trying to kill us with an army. That's David's situation. And we know a lot about this situation that David found himself in because 2 Samuel chapters 14 through 16 tell us this story. So, so the little title here gives us the immediate context, but, but the fuller story is this. David had his oldest son Absalom, and Absalom over a period of time became discontented waiting for his dad to die so that he could become king. I often think of uh, Prince Charles and Queen Elizabeth. She's, I don't know how, she's 100 or something like that. Like, you know, and he's like 75 at this point. And he's like, when am I going to be king? You'll be dead before you're king. That's how Absalom was feeling. He's like, I'm never going to get there. And, and because he wasn't right with the Lord, what Absalom did was he tried to subvert his father. He would sit at the gates of the city, and people would come in to want to talk to the king. And Absalom would say, well, you tell me what's going on. 
And, and so he would listen to him, and he said, well, I can do for you what my dad wouldn't do for you. I'm a sympathetic listener. And so he would, he would listen. And the people's hearts were captivated with Absalom. And when he realized that he had enough of the crowd on his side, enough of the armed forces on his side, he finally stormed the palace. And David escaped by the skin of his teeth with basically just the clothes on his back and just a few followers. So he had to flee his palace. He had to run from his son. Can you imagine what that felt like? Well, David tells us what it felt like for him. Look at verse 1. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. You see, both the title and this first verse tells us the situation. This is the situation that David finds himself in. He is under a physical threat. That's the situation. He is being physically threatened. Not just, you know... This isn't his son saying, you know, I just want to kick you off the throne and take over. No, his son knows that if he's going to be the king, he's going to have to kill his father. I just can't even begin to fathom what that would have felt like, to know that your life is being threatened by your own son. Now, some of you have family members or have yourself, you had had that experience. You know maybe even today, maybe an illness is in your life. A diagnosis has come upon you that you realize that if it doesn't get addressed, death might come to you. Maybe you've seen it in family members. You're, you're not unacquainted with a physical threat in your life. David says, I know what that's like to be faced in a place where your life could be taken from you, that forces are at work outside of yourself. This was, this was simply the most horrible time in David's life. And David says, though, listen, I'm not just being threatened, though, physically. Like, my anguish, my distress, it goes deeper than the fact that I'm worried about what's going to happen to me physically. He says that I'm being mentally threatened. Emotionally and mentally, David is being threatened. And we see this when he comes in verse 2 and he says these words. Many are saying to me, or are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. Now, we can read past that, but we shouldn't. David is giving us a window right now into his very mindset and what he is feeling emotionally. You see, for people to come to him and to say, there's no salvation for him in his God, that's one thing. But notice what he says. They are saying of my soul. They're saying that my soul itself does not find salvation in God. And this is why this would have been such a threat to him. This is why his mind would have raced so greatly. See, David was supposed to be the anti-King Saul. King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, was a king that God had appointed and it said, you are to represent me to the people, but King Saul had failed spectacularly time and time again to walk in obedience to the Lord. And because he did, there came a moment where God came through the prophet Samuel and said, your kingdom is being taken from you and it's going to be given to David. And David knew that story. David knew that he got the kingdom because Saul had failed. And now people are looking at David and saying, you're the same like Saul. You're ending up just like Saul did. Your son is rising up against you because you have failed. Had David failed? We know the story. 
the greatest failure that David had had was one day seeing Bathsheba bathing, going and committing adultery with her. Sin in of itself was horrible. But then he went and to cover that sin, he had her husband murdered on the battlefield. A man who had committed murder and adultery, that was King David. And so you could see why as people were shouting out against him, you, you have failed just like Saul, your kingdom is being taken from you. You could see why David would think, is this the case? Am I now in a situation of my own doing? Although Nathaniel had come to David and although David had, as we will see later in the Psalms, dealt with that sin, nonetheless, the, the thought of, is this happening to me because what I have done? David was a man who was faced with a physical threat and a mental threat. There's no salvation for him in his God. That's what the people are saying. And so when I come and I say, this is a psalm that should be speaking to all of us, I say that because in this psalm we see someone who is no different than us, someone who knows what it's like to be physically threatened, to to be in distress about what could physically happen to them, who is struggling in their mind to think correctly, and, and who's in turmoil because of what people are saying this is the situation that David finds himself in. Church, this is a situation that we can often find ourselves in. This is why, did you notice that little word that sticks out at the very end of verse 2? After David has said, here's my situation, it, it, that section ends with the word selah. And there's not a perfect translation, like a one-word translation for selah, but the general meaning of this Hebrew word is, is pause consider. It's to say, what you've just read, don't rush past. Pause, consider, take in. And so as we read Psalm 3, we, we read it to say like, okay, this was David's situation, but, but what about me? Have I been faced with a situation like this? Could I be faced with a situation like this? The answer is situations that bring about fear and anxiety, that they're ever prevalent in a fallen world. And so, so we want to be aware of this because what David does next in the text is he doesn't just come and say, well, here's the situation. He comes and he gives us his response to the situation. In the following verses, we, we hear his response. And in church, this response is, is not just to be David's response, but this is in this psalm. This is David saying, here's what I'm faced with. And then he's going to come and say, here's my response. Because the Lord is wanting to guide us, as Athanasius said, to remedy the ill. When you and I are faced with a situation where we're under distress, how should we respond? David ultimately shows us that. In our humanity, we can be paralyzed by these situations. They can cause us to want to turn from the Lord. They can lead us to despair and hopelessness. But look what happens. It starts with this. David's response that the fullness of it is found in verses 3 and 4, but, but actually his response to a situation starts long before that. What are the first two words of verse 1? The very first two words of verse 1, depending upon your translation, they should be, O Lord. The psalm begins with David crying out to God. Those two little words, it's no small thing of what David is doing here. David makes the choice... Verse 1 tells us to verbalize his struggle and his pain to God. 
And in doing so, he is showing us, church, that when faced with a situation like David's, we don't keep that to ourselves, but we bring it to the Lord. David is showing us that when threatened, tell God what you are experiencing. David is threatened, but he comes, and right out of the chute, he says, oh, Lord, he doesn't keep it to himself. He doesn't keep his circumstances quiet. He goes to his God, and he lays it all out on the table. He says, God, this is what I am going through. This is what I'm experiencing physically. This is what I'm dealing with mentally. David doesn't hide it. He puts it out there. I find it humorous that for the past hundred years or so, we have, quote unquote, learned from people like Freud and Jung the importance of going to a therapist and, and speaking out your problems, communicating what it is that you are going through. Because David would, would hear what the therapist have today say today, and he'd be like, I was doing that thousands of years ago. The importance of, of making known and talking out what it is you're experiencing. Church family, we weren't made to keep these things in because as David shows us, these things are so much bigger than us and beyond our control. And so David's response is showing us, did you know it's okay to go to God and say, this is what I'm faced with, just to cry out to him and to say, this is what I'm being threatened with today. This is the circumstance I find myself in. This is what my heart feels like. Because it's not just Psalm 3 that does this. Over and over in the Psalms, you can go to Psalm 18.6, where the psalmist says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. Or Psalm 61.2, From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Over and over, the Psalms tell us, don't keep it in. The troubles that you're experiencing proclaim it, make it known, cry out to God. Simply put, there's just something about not keeping it to yourself. And you know, David's language here, the thing that just strikes me about it, is like he doesn't paint it with rose-colored glasses. In the rest of the Psalms, there's often these moments, and we're going to see this as we go through the summer, where the psalmist is just putting it out in all of its messiness. There's not this highfalutin language. It's just like, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling. So many times we feel like I can't go to God until I've sorted it all out in my own mind. David's saying that's, that's not the way to do it. Just go to him. Make it known to him. Let him do that work. Now, as I was thinking about the fact that we can go to God and we're encouraged here by David to just make our, our problems and our struggles known to verbalize it, I found it interesting that in my own heart and mind, the thought hit me. Well, but God already knows, right? Like, God already knows what I'm going through. In the broadest categories, we can think of God's sovereign over everything. So, so he knows what I'm going through. And, and isn't he working all things together for our good? And, and that should be it. Yes, all those things are true. But listen, the reason why we go to God and make these things known to him is not for his benefit. It's for ours. Because as we're going to see, until you and I come to God and say, this is what I'm experiencing, you can't move to what then the psalmist does next. Because what the psalmist does next is this. David says, listen, I make God 
I make him aware that I know what it is I'm going through. I tell him those things because then after I tell him those things, I come, and as we're going to see in these next few verses, and I tell God who I know him to be and what he has done. We don't just simply come and say, this is the situation. The second part of the equation is to tell God who you know him to be and what he has done because you're holding up two things. This is what I'm going through, but I'm going to choose to look at what I'm going through through what I know to be true of you. Are you following with me? David shows us how you do that. Look at the next verses here. In verse 3, he says, But you, O Lord, there's that but, this is what I'm going through. I'm telling you that. I'm not keeping it in. But here's what I know to be true of you. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me, from his holy hill, and there it is again, Selah. Pause, consider, what has David just spoken here? What has he just said to the Lord? Well, he's told God. First in verse 3, he says, I'm going to speak who I know you to be for me, and who I know you to be for me, first and foremost, is my protector. He says, you have been a shield about me. David knew God. Despite his circumstances he was going through, he reflected on and proclaimed back to God, I know you're my protector. Right now I feel exposed. Right now I feel in the open. But you are my protector. You have always been that. And David knew that in a very practical way better than most. This was David who one time took a sling and fought a little giant by the name of, anyone, anyone? Let's say, Goliath, right? This was David who had faced against Goliath and who had defeated Goliath, not because David was greater than all others, but because his God worked mightily through David. Who was Goliath? He was a giant overcome who David was protected from because God has been his protector. But it wasn't just with the Goliath, the giant. It was also with King Saul. On numerous occasions, Saul had tried to take David's life, and each time, Saul had attempted to thwart the plan of God for David to become king. God protected him. When the spear was thrown, David ducked. When Saul tried to attack him in the wilderness, David survived. When David fled to his enemies, the Philistines, God protected him amongst his enemies. God knew David, and David knew his God, to be his protector. Now, we can consider this. We can know that this is who our God is for David to be his protector. But what about us? Is the God of David a protector today of his people? How can we know that God is a protector of us? We see it with David, but what about for us? Church, do you know your God to be your great protector, your shield? There's no more powerful illustration of God's protection over you than the fact that Jesus Christ stood between you and the wrath of God and shielded you from his 
judgment that you rightfully deserved and I rightfully deserved, Jesus Christ has shown himself to be a protector. We have been protected far more greatly than from a giant or a crazy king. We have been protected from the wrath that we should have received because Jesus stood in our place. Can I get an amen to that? He is your protector, which is why Paul would write to the Romans in Romans 8.31, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be what? Against us. We know our God is the protector of his people. But if you notice, David says, you haven't just simply been my protector. David says, you've been my sustainer. You've been the sustainer. For verse 3 says at the very end, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. That picture of being the lifter of his head. David said, when I was weighed down, and I couldn't continue on, you lifted my head. You said, I have you. You're, you're being cared for by me. David says, I experienced your nourishment. I experienced your care all these years. He had been David's sustainer, but he's not just David's sustainer. Church, he is our sustainer. He is the one that comes to us, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. He's the one that Paul said that neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation can separate us from his love. Every day you and I wake up, we have the sustaining love of Jesus Christ. We know that we will never be forsaken. We know that the Spirit indwells us. All of that comes from our Father in heaven through his Son, Jesus Christ. David knew him as protector and sustainer. How much more do we today know him in this way? And so what does David do? He looks at his situation and he doesn't deny it. He doesn't say, this isn't what I'm going through. It all turned out roses. He says, no, my world is falling apart mentally I'm being assailed, and I don't know if I can get through it. But, and then he goes and he proclaims, but God, this is who I know you to be. Faced with this, this is who you are. There's a story in the Old Testament that I think really illustrates the importance of continually proclaiming to God who he is and what he has done when we're faced with situations that seem to threaten us beyond what we can bear. When the people of God were being prepared to enter into the promised land, you'll remember this story. They sent 12 spies into the land to scope it out. The promised land that God said, I'm going to give to you, they sent in these spies to go check it out. And when they got there, they saw that the land was just as bountiful as God had promised, that it was going to sustain the people of Israel. They were so excited by what they saw. But then those spies saw something. They saw, it says, the people of the land, and they looked as though they were giants. And the spies saw that, and when they came back and they reported, so, what's it like? Are, are we going to take it over? They say, it was exactly what you thought. Grapes are huge, the fruit is abundant, we're going to have everything that we need, but there's a problem, we can't take the land. And they say, why can't we take the land? Ten of the spies gave the report, and they said, because there's giants in the land. We can't overcome these, these giants. But then what happens is two of the other spies say, yeah, no, no, no. We saw the giants, and we saw everything else. We can take the land. What's going on? 
Twelve people saw the exact same thing. Ten say we can't conquer. Two say we can. Do you know what the difference was between the two? They were faced with the exact same circumstances, except those two looked and they said, but we know our God took us out of Egypt. He conquered the Egyptians. He can take care of a couple of giants. It's this fascinating story of how we can either focus in on our circumstances and leave it there, or we can look at our circumstances and then look to our God in the midst of our circumstances. David says, you want to know the response? This should be the response when faced with these distressing situations, call out to God, make it known to him, but don't stop there. Then go and confess, proclaim who you know him to be, what he has done. You know, I think about what this looks like in a very practical way. And, I, and I'm by no means wanting to make light, although it, it might seem funny to some. I think about the dear, sweet mothers in our church who have young children and even older children. But when your kids are young, I know there are moms here right now that are like, you want to know my distress? You want to know my circumstance? Every day, my kids... They, they're not obeying. And, and mom's hearts can be distressed. They look at their children, and they're not doing what they should do. They make the messes every single day. The cycle repeats itself. And I think that there's probably some moms who feel the emotional distress. Maybe you have a rebellious child, and you're like, I've been trying to work with them, but they, but they're, but they are just so frustrating because they won't listen. They won't respond. They just keep turning away from us. And, and like, listen, that is a distressing thing. And in that distress, what, what we sometimes do is we, we don't do what this psalmist says, which is, did you know, mom, did you know, father, that you can call out to the Lord and you can say, my kids are a burden every single day emotionally because they are so taxing and they don't do, and I just, I don't know if this is ever going to end. Are they ever going to grow up? And sometimes we feel like, we can't say, that's not spiritual. You can't, you can't say that. David says things far more far more, quote-unquote, less spiritual than this. Because he's just saying, Lord, this is how this is impacting me. You should not be afraid to call out to your God, who is your Father, and to say, this is what I'm going through. I have been blessed in my life to have a mom and a dad who know and love the Lord. And trust me, on a just purely human level, there have been times where I have been overcome with things just emotionally, and I just need to talk to somebody about it. Am I the only one who's ever had that experience? And sometimes all you just need to do is to make it known. But, but for us, that's what we can do to our God. We can make it known to him. And then as a mom or a dad with that child to say, but Lord, as I'm trying to raise these children in the fear and the admonition of you, as I'm trying to be the, the man or the woman of God that you've called me to be as a, as a wife, as a mother, as a husband, as a father, Lord, I know that while these kids suck the life out of me, you are the sustainer. You don't have Absalom's trying to kill you, but it feels that way sometimes. And you can say, Lord, I know that you will protect. And even though I can't do for my rebellious child what I want to do because they are turning, Lord, you can protect. You can watch over. That's, that's on you. The question that this psalmist is posing before you is not, do you face distressing situations, but will you tell the Lord about it, and then will you remind your heart and proclaim to him who you know him to be? Because, listen, there is a blessing that comes. There is ultimately a promise that's found in this psalm, and I don't use that lightly because look at the end of chapter 
2, verse 12. The end of chapter 2, verse says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's how Psalm chapter 2 ends. If you make God your refuge, if you turn to him, there's a blessing that ultimately comes. And David says, I felt it. I've experienced it. He says it right in verse 5. Here's the result of his calling out to the Lord. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. Do you see what David says happened? What happened for David is what typically doesn't happen for us. When we're anxious because of things that are distressing in our life, when we keep it in, it comes to nighttime, we close our eyes, and can we fall asleep? No, we just keep working it over, over, and over, and over in our minds. And David says, God did something. When I called out to him, when I proclaimed who he was and what he's done for me, all of a sudden, God gave me rest. He put sleep and slumber in my eyes. And then, guess what? Shocker of all shockers, I woke up again. I woke up. Do you know, during this time, David is still being pursued by Absalom. When he's praying this prayer, when he's going through this, the situation hasn't gone away, but God has ministered in David's life. He's given him that rest. And then he says, because the Lord sustained me. I looked to him and he sustained. And then he comes and he says in verse 6, I will not be afraid. So the Lord just simply doesn't come and give him rest. He says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. He got rest, but then he got a renewed courage. He made it through the night. He wasn't dead. God was still on his throne, and he was still with David. And David said, I can now face this new day because my God is with me. Isn't there nothing more that we want in the midst of distressing situations than to ultimately have rest but to also have a renewed courage to know that I can get through this. David says, God came and met me as I looked to him, as I processed through what I was going through, recognizing the situation, but recognizing that he was over it all. He said, I was not afraid. I was not afraid. But there was one final result. He didn't just get rest and renewed courage. There was one final fruit that came from all of this, and it's very striking. David had a confidence then to ask for deliverance. It, if you notice, up to this point in the psalm, David has not asked God for anything. He's just simply communicated to God what he's going through and who he knows God to be. But after he's done that, the result of finding that rest and the renewed courage was the confidence to say, God, now would you get this out of my life? Would you deliver me? Look at verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. David comes in and he says, listen, and this shows us that it's not like we should just say, okay, God, here's my situation and just leave it at that. David comes and says, it's okay to go and to ask him to say, relieve me of it. Remove this situation from me. And David says, I have confidence to ask that of you because of who I know you to be and because I've seen you sustain me. So many times, you might feel in your relationship with God like I couldn't possibly ask any more of him. He's already done so much. David shows us in this psalm, it doesn't matter how much he has done for you, he is more than willing to have his people come and ask even more. Because when he answers and when he moves in those ways, he gets the glory. 
And so I started by saying, my day began in a very unexpected way. God literally putting in my path a situation I wasn't expecting and in the path of my family that was distressing. All the while saying, are you going to come to my word and, and actually take it into your own heart and mind? So I don't know what you're at in your life, what it is that you're going through. But church, let us take this psalm and let it bring great hope to us to know that whatever might come today or tomorrow, when it comes, and it will, we don't keep that in. We don't hide it from our God. We make it known to him. As we make it known to him, knowing that he hears us, we then proclaim who we know him to be and what he's done for us already. And then as we, as we confess those things over and over to him, we sit and we wait, believing and trusting that he will be faithful to do what he did for David, which is give rest, give a renewed courage, and give us the confidence to keep going to him for the praise and glory of his name and for the good of all of our hearts. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, as we come and close out our time this morning, we see, Lord, from your word so much of, of what we need. Lord, it's true that your word is a light. It's a lamp. In this situation, Lord, it guides us in the midst of distress, in the midst of calamity. Lord, it, it shows us what we must turn to and what we need. And so, Lord, would you help our hearts to take in this word for those that are hurting and distressed today. Lord, let's not just put this on the shelf, but let's put this into practice. And for all of us, even as we come to the Lord's table today, let us come to that table with great confidence because in taking of the bread and taking of the cup, we are once again proclaiming what you've done and who you are so that, Lord, we can have that rest, that renewed courage, and so that we can come to you at all times and all places. So we pray and we ask in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.